Well, I want you to know I found myself in a bit of a pastoral predicament this week uh, because we are starting a new series, which, which is, uh, I've, been, I've been thinking about and praying about for a long time. I, I really think it's important. Um, and so then you always come to this thing, like, how, how much do I introduce this thing? Because right? you need some introduction, and so do I spend a whole week doing introduction and then I not get into the lies? It means we've got to cover uh, 11 lies instead of 12 because uh, this thing's going to run just about 12 weeks. And so I decided I'm going to try to just fit two sermons into one. All right, so we're going to pray right now so we can just get through all of it. That's going to be the goal. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, we're going to be in John 8. We're going to be in Genesis 3. Those will be our three primary texts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, John 8, and Genesis chapter 3 will be our three primary texts. But let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, um, thank you so much for meeting with us. Thank you for uh, being present for keeping your promise that when two or more are gathered in your name, that you're also with us. And Lord, we just, we say thank you for meeting with us. God, we know that's how we're changed. We're changed not by anything that we do, uh, but we're changed by because of who you are. And when, when you meet with us, we, we can't walk away the same as, as we, we came in. And so we're just thankful for your presence. We're thankful for your power. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your love. And, and this morning, we're going to come before you open-handed. We're just going to come before you open-handed and say, God, um, what we just sang, please do that. Please meld us and, and, and mold us and, and, and fill us and use us and, and do a work that we weren't expecting today. Maybe, maybe we were. Maybe we got out of bed this morning with that right motive. Go, man, I'm going to church. I know that it's raining, but I know I'm going to meet with God. And, and Father, for those that came with those expectations, Lord, bless them beyond belief. But for those that woke up and they came out of duty, um, Lord, bless them too. Just meet with us in a powerful way. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you in right now and we just proclaim. Um, we will always proclaim you are our teacher and you are our guide. You are the teacher of this church and so we just invite you in right now to come and take your place in our pulpit and to exalt Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, as you are lifted up, would you, um, would you just draw us to your heart? Would you show us who you are in such a powerful way that it makes us want to stop being who we are? Just fall into you. God, we love you. Uh, do a work here in our midst today, something that we would not have believed even if we were told. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Over the next 12 weeks, I want to talk to you about the power of your mind. I want to talk to you about the power of, of belief. All right? What would you say if I told you that what you believe drives how you feel and how you act? Would you say if I told you that what you believe, things that you believe through your thought life, actually drives how you feel and, and how you act? Would, would you believe that? What, what if I told you that how you feel and how you behave or how you act can actually reinforce the way that you think? you believe that? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the power of our minds. Now, science would define what I'm talking about to you as uh, something that they're now calling CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Theory. And the easiest way to explain it is by showing you a picture, because uh, I'm a picture guy. And so it goes kind of like this, that uh, what we think about, okay, what we think about affects how we uh, behave and how we feel. So the things that we think about affect both 
how, how we feel and how we behave. Of course, how we, how we feel then can affect uh, how we behave. Uh, it can also affect our thought life and how we behave can, can do the same thing. Um, but I, I just thought it was so interesting this week as I began to think about, well, what, what happens when we believe the wrong thing? What happens when we believe the wrong thing is very much kind of what we see here. And so we're going to take this kind of model and instead of looking at the Bible through this perspective, we're going to look at this through a biblical perspective because the Bible really has a lot of similarities. You know, the Bible says that what we think is very important. In fact, the Bible teaches us that what we think, we need to guard what we think because, because if not, then what we think becomes what we believe and then what we believe dictates how we act. And then it, it, it can actually become this, this cycle, Right? called a stronghold. And so this morning, if you've got your Bibles, I, I want to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I lied to you earlier when I said 1 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to be in verse 3 through 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But if you turned your Bible there to start with, you're pretty close at least, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is what the word of the Lord says. This is Paul, of course, writing the church in Corinth, beginning in verse 3. He says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Now listen, this is important. Paul says, like, listen, we... We uh, live in the flesh, but we don't wage war in the flesh. We, we wage a different kind of war. It, its power comes from God, right? And, and, and the point of, of this war that we're waiting is to demolish strongholds. He says, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive so that we can obey Christ. So here's what that text would say. We break it down, ready? There is a war going on right now. There's a war being waged right now um, for your mind. That's what the Bible would declare. There's a war being waged right now for, for our minds. And it says there are arguments that are being raised up right now as we speak. There are arguments being raised up against the knowledge of God uh, in our minds. That's the battle that's going on. Somebody is raising up arguments against the knowledge of God, against the things that we know to be true about God. Somebody is, is raising up arguments. There's a fight going on about what we think about the things of God. Okay? It says these arguments, if, if they're reinforced, can become uh, something spiritual called a stronghold in our life. Therefore, the text goes on, we need to make sure we take every thought captive. We need to take every thought captive, make it a slave to the Lord, so that these strongholds don't develop in our lives. Okay? Now, I, I want to show you one more verse. Proverbs chapter 4. Maybe you know this one. This is a favorite of many. It says this, right? So we talked about our mind a little bit. This battle was being waged for our mind. Somebody is raising up these arguments uh, against the, the knowledge of God. And, uh, and so I want to talk about our heart for a second. And, and it says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. If you have the NIV translation, it says, I'm for it is the wellspring of life. I like that. It's kind of poetic. Everything that we do comes from this place, right? And so if we're going to kind of combine these thoughts that, that we need to guard very carefully about the things that we think about, right? Because, because if we think about the wrong things for too long, then those things are going to find their way, not just from our head, but then into our heart. And once they find their way into our heart, they will affect our hands. And so I kind of took that diagram and, and I've relabeled it for you, uh, kind of like this. Ready? <laughs> Mind, heart, and hands. 
And those things all work in relationship. We're going to be talking about those things, about our mind, about our heart, about our hands, about our action, and how all these things work together. That is the goal of our study. And so we need to take every thought captive because if we think about and we accept the wrong thing, and then in our hearts we believe uh, that wrong thing to be true, it affects how we feel, and then that, of course, affects how we act. And then those actions... According to scientists, according to scientists, those actions, if we feel the wrong way and we act the wrong way, that actually reinforces the wrong belief that we had. Now that becomes a dangerous cycle that I believe the Bible calls a stronghold. Okay? Because it feeds on itself and it gets stronger and it gets stronger and it gets stronger. I believe that's what the Bible is talking about when it says uh, it's a stronghold. Now, the question is who's behind all this? Who's behind all this? Who's raising up these arguments against the knowledge of God? Who's doing it? Who's putting those thoughts in, 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 in our ear or, or, or letting us watch them on, on television? Who, who's behind uh, all of this? Is, is it the media? Is that what it is? I know somebody would tweet that. Uh, I'm not going to mention any names. It's, like, it's the media, right? I, I want to tell you, um, the Bible actually says exactly who it is. So I'm in John chapter 8. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 8, I want to read this with you. This is a pretty good chunk of Scripture. I'm beginning in verse 30. We're going to read all the way through 47. So we're going to read 17 verses of Scripture here today. It says this. It says, as he was saying these things, right, Jesus had been speaking to uh, a large crowd. Um, this begins all the way back in, in uh, 8 chapter 1 uh, as he went to the temple. And so uh, starting in verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you're really my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's like, if you continue in my word, that's the truth, my word's the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, and, and they said, but we're descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we'll become free? Now, first of all, can I just say that's idiotic? Right? I mean, historically, that's a terrible statement. We're, we're sons of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. Uh, hello, Egypt, right? I mean, can we just go back, slap some people, right? Um, but, but, but listen, don't think you're better than that. Don't think you're better than that. See, there were times in your life that you were completely enslaved to some kind of behavior, some kind of thought, and, and we have the tendency to think if we're out of it now that we've never been there, right? We, we, we don't want to look back. We don't want to remember the hard times. And so we have this tendency to just think, well, I, I, it could never happen to me. I've, I've never been enslaved to anything. Liar. Right? And so I, I just want you to see the truth of God's word. And so the, so the, the descendants of Abraham, they answer him, and, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say uh, that you will become free? Jesus responded, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. He said, even if Egypt didn't exist, brother, <laughs> let me tell you, you've been in shackles. Everyone that sins is a slave to sin. And a slave doesn't remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You are doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God and I am here. 
For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Hmm. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Some big stuff there in those 17 verses. Let's start with with Jesus just speaking, right? And and he says, listen, I'm the truth. My words are the truth. That's what he's saying. It reminds me of John 14, 6, right? When he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father said about Jesus is just openly saying to these group of Jews, some that have believed, some that have not. He says, I am the truth, me. I'm the truth, right? And, and he goes on, he says, in fact, if, if you remain in my words, like if you continue to believe in them, my truth will set you free. And, and so the next question is, well, free from what? That's what the crowd asked. Well, what are you going to set us free from? And the answer is that Jesus is the truth and the truth will set us free from the stronghold of sin and wrong belief. That's what it does. The truth will set us free from these things. That's what he's saying to these scribes, these Pharisees. He's saying, you have believed the wrong thing about me. You have not listened to God. You, you have listened to the devil. That's your father. And he does not, he cannot stand in truth because he's the father of lies. And so I just want you to kind of see this thing, right? So, so they have believed the wrong thing about Jesus. They have not listened to Jesus. They have listened to the father of lies. So they do not believe that Jesus is from God. Because they do not believe that Jesus is from God, they hate him. That's now how they feel. They feel hate in their hearts towards Jesus because they have listened to the father of lies instead of the son of God. And so they have hate in their heart. And not only do they have hate in their heart, they're, they're, they're furious. That's how they feel. They feel hate. They feel furious. And, and, and then how does that change their behavior? Their whole life now, their whole mission is about killing him. Jesus mentions it multiple times in 17 verses. So now you're trying to kill me. So I've got wrong belief changing the heart. The heart is now affecting the actions and it's becoming a cycle. Right? It's becoming a stronghold. Jesus is just speaking the the truth to them. He goes on, he says, but listen, if you know the truth, if you know the truth, man, the truth has the power to set you free. So let's, let's, now that's the background to the whole study. That's what we're going to do for the next 12 weeks. We're we're, we're going to look at the lies that we believe, at the misgivings we have about God, about the things that we have heard, that we've allowed to creep in. We're going to look at the lies that we've believed. We're going to talk about how they have changed our hearts and our feelings. And then we're going to, we're going to look at how they've changed our actions. And we're going to talk about how do we break that stronghold in our lives so that we can experience the freedom that only Christ can bring. Okay? So this morning, I want to talk to you about our first lie. I've got to move kind of quick, but I think we can get it in. And so uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, we're just going to read five verses here. Kind of our first lie of the study, I think it's important. It, it, it's the biggest uh, first lie in, in all of Scripture. Uh, it happens here in the garden with Adam and with Eve and with Satan. So I'm in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read verse 1 through 5.
The Word of God says this. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now remember, Adam and Eve had been made in the image of God. They have been placed in the Garden of Eden. They have everything they could ever want or need. They're living in perfection. God is walking with them in the cool of the day. They, they have fellowship with God. They, there, there's no hurt. There's no pain. There's no death in the world. This is, this is, this is where they, they're, they're camping out. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful place. This place called Eden. Now, in that place, it says the serpent was, was there, and he was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He's twisting some things here. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it, or you will die. Verse 4, No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here's the tempter, the father of lies. Doing what he does best, right? The question is, what, what exactly is his lie, right? And we have a tendency to look, I mean, if, if you look at it early on, uh, he says, well, did God really say that? That's, that's actually not a lie. I mean, he, he's just trying to create doubt. The first big whopper comes, uh, first two, actually, in, in verse 4 and 5. And this is what, what it says. He, he says, you will not certainly die. That's the first big lie. I mean, that's a, that's a big one. He said, look, look, you're not going to die. You're not going to eat it and just fall over dead. The serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, so now we might, we might think, well, but hey, the lie we're going to study is this first one that, that, that we're not going to die. We're actually, I'm going to study a, a bigger one behind it. We're, we're going to study a lie that plays on our desire for control, Right? And the serpent says to them, listen, if you do this, then you're going to see things the way that God sees them. If you, if you, if you do this, you're, you're going to be like God. And so Satan is planting one of the most dangerous lies that he can plant. He's saying, listen, God is holding out on you and you don't even know it. So here's the lie, right? God's not good. Not really. That's the lie. Satan is, is saying to, to Eve, like, listen, God is holding out on you. He is not everything that you think he is. He's not really good. And, and, and here's kind of the point behind it, right? This is how the lie goes. If God was good, he would give you everything that you could want. If God was good, he would give you everything that he possesses. God, if he was good, you'd have everything that he has. That's the lie. Right, of course, we, we know this is kind of crazy, those of us, especially those of us that have kids, or, you know, if you're here, that means you've been a kid at some point. 
We realize that, that's, that's, that's a crazy lie to think that, 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 that goodness means that you have to have everything that you could ever desire. I don't, I don't know if uh, any of you, I'm not recommending the movie, but I'm just saying, any of you remember watching the movie Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey way back in the day? Like a long time, I mean, I, I can't even remember when it came out. It came out a long time ago. And, and, Bru- and, and Bruce, Jim is, is supposedly somehow he's playing the role of God for a while. And uh, there's a scene where he begins to hear in his ears just quiet these whispers. And it's the prayers of everybody in the world praying, right? And he's, free, he's like, I can't handle this. Get out of my head. How do you deal with this? And so he, he said, well, I'll do a filing system. Files all over the house. I'll do, I'll do post-it notes. Everybody's covered in post-it notes, including his wife. And then finally he's like, okay, I know. I'm going to create an email system where all these prayer requests. And so, so, so sure thing, it downloads. There's 1.5 million prayer requests. He, he asks for coffee, and coffee comes, he just begins to type out, yet, you know, he's answering all the prayer requests, he shows him doing this for minutes, and then, like, whoo, surely that meant a dent. He hits send, and, you know, send is send and receive, and when he sends out all the answers to the prayer request, it, it receives, and now he's got 3.5 million prayer requests. And he's like, all these people, so needy. So he, he selects all of them, and he answers yes to everything. Yes to everyone's prayer requests. You know what it results in? Chaos, right? Everyone wins the lottery and the entire state goes broke, right? I mean, everything you can imagine. And sometimes we have this fallacy. We think like, like listen, that's what good is. Good is to have everything that I want. Right? But, but, but here's our lie. So, so the lie is God is, is not good. Now, how does this lie affect how we feel? How, how does the, 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 the lie, the thought that God is not good or God is holding out on me, how does that lie affect how we feel? Well, to, to get it, we need to look at, at how it affected Eve. Okay, and so, so uh, let's just follow along in, in the text. Verse 6. Verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and, and he ate it. And so let's just kind of walk through this line. So, so, so the, the lie is that God is not good. The lie is that God is holding out on me. And now suddenly, once she, she begins to entertain this thought that God is holding out on her, God is holding something back from her, God is not really as good as she thought that he was, for suddenly, for the very first time, this has never happened in creation, suddenly, for the very first time, get this, she feels unsatisfied. It's the first time. In all of creation, she, she now feels, she's believed that God is not good, and for the very first time now, she's not satisfied. She's unsatisfied. She looks at the fruit and she begins to want it. She begins to see, oh, it's so beautiful. That's something I don't have. She begins to see, well, oh, she, she begins to think, well, I'm, I'm not wise. God, God didn't create me with wisdom. I need some. There is something now out there that I don't have. Because she believes that God's not good. And so the first time in life, now she's unsatisfied. Now, that unsatisfaction leads to another feeling, right? A little bit of a feeling of, of anger, almost a feeling of jealousy towards God. Oh, how could God hold out on me? Why, why would God hold out on me? This thing that's so good. I mean, look at it. It's beautiful. And, and, and God said he gave me everything that I need. Yet here I am and I don't have this thing. I don't, I don't have wisdom. I'm, I'm unsatisfied. And not only am I unsatisfied, I'm angry. I'm, I'm actually jealous. God, God, that's not right of you to hold out on me. That's not, what, what, so you're good, but yet you keep certain things just for yourself, God? So she says, okay. Now listen, no, those feelings are now going to justify, she's going to use them to justify her wrong actions. Right? Because she knows what God said. God said, don't touch the fruit. Don't, don't touch the fruit. Don't go to the tree. Don't eat of the tree. 
That's what God said. But she's going to say, well, yeah, 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 I know that's what you said, but you're not good. You're not good. You're holding out on me. You're, you're, you're holding back satisfaction from me. So you know what I'm going to do, God? I'm going to take things into my own hands. You're not going to give it to me. I'm going to get it. And boy, did she get it. Boy, did she get it. She got knowledge. She did. She got knowledge of, of evil. She got separation from God. She got enslaved to sin. She got all of the consequences. Right? Separation, suffering, pain, and death. And we're going to see this destructive cycle played out throughout the history of mankind over and over and over again. The same kind of thing. Somebody's going to believe a wrong thought about God. It's going to change the way that they feel towards God. It's going to change the way that they act towards God. They're going to try to justify it. And it just becomes this wicked cycle that people become enslaved to. We call those strongholds. We call those strongholds. So, what do we do? Now, some of you are thinking this morning, okay, that's great. That's awesome. That, that, that helps me understand the story of creation and the fall of Eve. What on earth does that have to do with me? All right? So here's what I want to submit to you this morning. Ready? Let me suggest this. We all buy into this lie at one time or another. We all buy into this lie that God is not good at one time or another. Now, now listen, we, we proclaim that God is good. I mean, come on, we know all the church answers, right? I mean, we, we all speak Christianese for crying out loud. We have our own little language, right? We say things like, like somebody says, God is good. And, and somebody else says, all the time, right? And then somebody says, all the time, God is good, right? Like our little Christian saints. Like, so we have, we know, we say the right thing, but the truth is, when it comes to loss, when, when things don't work out the way that we thought that they should, when others seem to be doing better off than we are, when, when the healing doesn't come, when the unexpected tragedy strikes, when, when God's answer is no or even not yet, then at that moment we begin to question why. Why? Why, God, would you keep this from me? Why would you keep this healing from me? Why would you, why would you um, not keep this pain from me? Why, why, God, why? And we begin to question the goodness of God. And once we begin to doubt His goodness, at that moment, like Eve, we feel justified to take control. We do. We feel justified to put ourselves in the driver's seat. So the question is, how do we combat that? Right? How, 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 do, we, how do we break that cycle? And of course, the answer is, is, is the truth, according to Jesus, right? The truth is what we need. The truth will set us free. This is what Jesus says in John 17, um, 17, 17. He's praying to the Father. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Ready? What is the truth? Your word is the truth. Right? The word of God is, is the truth. The word of God is the weapon. The Word of God is, is the place that we turn, uh, no matter what we're hearing, no matter what we're, we're thinking about. The Word of God is the place we have to go to to get the truth. And what would the truth do? It's interactive. Okay. Like, I've only mentioned it 12 times so far. I made sure I mentioned it 12 times before. I wanted you to pass the quiz. Some of you did not even put your name on the paper. Okay. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth, and the truth will set us free. So what is the truth? What does God's word say about his goodness? Okay? Here's the truth. Ready? The truth that God's word proclaims over and over and over and over again is this. God is good, and everything he does is good. 
God is good and everything he does is good. Now listen, I could make a case for you today starting in Genesis and walking all the way through the Gospels about the goodness of God. God, God creates the world and everything in it and every, every time he makes them, it says it, it is good. It is good. At some point it says it is very good. And then you look at, at, at Abraham and he chooses Abraham, right? And Abraham didn't deserve to be chosen, but God is good towards Abraham. And then, and then he chooses the Israelites and the Israelites reject him. And yet God is still good to the Israelites and he hears their prayers and he sets them free, right? And, and, then, and then God is good and he sends a solution to man's sin problem in the birth of his son Jesus. And we see the goodness of God. And then we see the goodness of God played out throughout the Gospels as, as God in the flesh has compassion upon mankind. And he's good over and over and over again. He is, he is good. And then we see, see his goodness displayed on the cross as he dies and, and pays the penalty for our sin debt. And we, we see, God, you are, are good. And then, and then God conquers death so that we might live. And again, we see, see the goodness of God. And, and it just plays out all throughout the Gospels, all the way to the book of Revelation, when God does away with all sin and death. And we see that God is good. So, so I, could, I could walk you through verse after verse after verse after verse of, of God's goodness. But this morning, instead, I'm going to focus on one verse. And you're going to see why we focus on one verse when we get to the application. Because I don't want to confuse you this week when you try to battle this thing out. And that's, that's the homework, by the way. You've got to battle this thing out. And so I'm just going to give you one verse, and, and here it is. It's Psalm 119, verse 68. The psalmist declares, you are good, and what you do is good. So teach me your decrees, or teach me your ways, O Lord, is another translation. God, you are good, and what you do is good, so teach me your ways. Teach me about your goodness, right? That's the, the truth. And, and, and guys, this is, this is a huge truth because this is a character trait of God. Good or goodness is actually a character trait of God. It means that there is never a time in which God ceases to be good or do good ever. God is always good. God always does good. And, and listen, sometimes being good means that you don't give your kids everything they want. Sometimes that's what being good is. It means you don't give your children everything they want. Sometimes being good... Being a good parent, sometimes being a good parent, means you allow your children to walk through difficult circumstances. Sometimes you even allow your child to suffer a little bit because it is only through those struggles that their character is built and they become the people that they need to be. You follow me? And the Bible says that's good. Right? That's, that's, that's good. Same is true with God. Because he is good, he gives us what is best and he allows us to go through testing and trials. So what do we do um, with this truth? So uh, here's, we've got a lot of application, but here's, here's the beauty. Um, we're always, every, every week, we're gonna focus on, remember, what, what sets us free? The, the truth sets us free. And so we're always gonna talk about the lie we've believed, how to get rid of that. We're always gonna talk about the truth of God, how to receive that. Um, but the cool thing, right, is, is uh, when we think about this thing in that, that kind of triangle mindset, right? So we've got our, our thoughts, we've got our right belief, and then we've, we've got our, our heart and how we feel, and then, and then we've got our actions. Uh, I'm going to tell you just straight up, the thing that takes the longest to change is the heart. It's how you feel. It, it just is. Uh, so so in, in my opinion, you're going to think this is crazy. Uh, the, the easiest thing to do is, is to confront the lie to say, no, God's word is true. I'll stand on God's word. So, so I'm going to kick out the lie. I'm going to dig up the lie. I'm going to implant the truth, okay? But, but if all you do is then kind of go over the truth, which we're going to encourage you to do, and just keep saying, well, that's true. I know that's true. I know that's true. But you never change your actions. You've still got two things working against one thing. Okay? 
So what we're going to do is we're going to always hear an application for the next 12 weeks. We're going to attack the truth. We're going to replace the lie with the truth of God's word. The truth is what ultimately will set us free. That truth, then, we're going to act out. We're going to act on the truth. Every week I'm going to give you something to do that, that is, is, it applies the truth of God's word that we say we believe. To apply. Now we're going to have two things working against the one wrong feeling. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how we're going to overcome those wrong feelings in our hearts about God. Okay? So let's begin with the truth. Okay? So ap- application, very first thing I want to challenge you to do. Uh, discover and uproot specific wrong thoughts about God's goodness that you have. I want you to get specific. Specific, right? God, you're holding out on me financially. That's how I feel, God. That's what I believe. Right? God, you're, you're not as good to me as you are to others. I, I, I look at this other family, I look at their marriage, I look at their closeness, I look at their intimacy, and I don't have that. You're holding out on me, God. Like, you've you got a name. Like, get specific, right? You've got you to get specific. Can't tell you how many people, unfortunately, I talk to, and, and, and their marriage is just okay. They, they honestly don't believe that their spouse is God's uh, second best gift ever to them. Like Jesus being the first, their spouse is, is, is supposed, the Bible would declare your spouse is, is God's second best gift to you. And they, they don't see their spouse as, as, as that person. And so, so they're, they're in a marriage because they believe the truth that you're not supposed to get a divorce. They believe that. But man, they're, they're not acting on that. There's no feeling towards that, right? And, and, and so, I, I, listen, you, you've got, what, what is the lie that you've bought into? What, what is it? God's not good because you're not healed? Is that the lie? God's, God's not good because you lost someone you loved and you didn't get to say goodbye? Right? Is, is that the lie? God's not good because you're struggling with debt? Is, is that the lie? He, he's not really provider because, because I'm struggling here in this area. God's not good because, because I, I don't feel good about myself? Because I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see? Like, what is, what is like, name it. Get specific. So that's, that's number one. So you've got to get specific and then you, you've got you've to uproot it. I mean, um, this, this is digging, folks. It's digging. Like, we don't like to dig. We like to rake, right? We like to rake leaves. That's kind of fun. Then we get to jump in them. That's easy work, right? Raking usually never hurts your back. Uh, it, it usually never gives you blisters. Digging, though, is going to make you sweat, right? Digging means you've got to jump on that stupid shovel. Digging means that you've got to go through some roots. Digging means that you've got you to get down there and, and you've got to put some work into it. And so what I'm gonna, you've got you to dig out the lie. You have to dig it out, all right? So that's, that's step one. Here's step two. Uh, you, you've got to then uh, plant the truth. You've got to plant the truth. And here's, here's how I believe uh, you can plant the truth. Here, here's the deal. Uh, how many of you just would say, and I'm not asking you specifically, but you would just confess like, yeah, there's some lies in my life I've believed, Pastor. I've done that. Anybody? Okay. Like five of you. Great. All of you, oh, the rest of you are killing it. That's awesome. Um, so uh, you five, let me just speak to the sinners in the room. Um, when, we, when we believe the wrong thing, that thing, uh, we usually, would, would anybody of you five agree that you believe it for a long period of time? Okay. So that lie grows up and it takes up a lot of space in us. So when we dig it out and we, we plant the new truth, it's going to feel weird because the truth now needs time to cultivate and to grow, right? It's going to have to fill up the same space that the lie once did. So people think, well, I, I, I believe the truth now. Why, why isn't everything better? Well, it's it's going to take some time 
to overcome, because you still think, uh, has anyone watched the documentary on Mr. Rogers? Oh, it was really, really good. Um, and, and, you know, he was all about, I mean, he was a gospel teacher, but he's also about how kids feel. And there's one little scene where he's doing this puppet thing, and, and he's kind of, he's, he, uh, you know, Daniel Tiger was his little puppet, and he, he's, he's talking about how he doesn't feel special. He doesn't feel important. And, and, and then, uh, I can't remember the, the character, but the, the real person, right there in Fairyland or whatever, and the real person is talking to Daniel Tiger. Dan, Daniel, you're amazing. You're special. You're great. And she begins to sing, and so it's a duet, and so she's singing the truth that God's word like, declares, like, you're beautiful, you're important, you're amazing. And he, uh, he, he's receiving it, but, but instead of just, just, just believing it right away, he, he now is softer. He's still speaking, I don't feel important. I don't feel... And those things go on simultaneously for a little bit, right? Because you, you, eventually you've got to let the song of God, you've got to let the truth of God overcome those things. It's gonna, so I'm just telling you, it's going to take some time. And so here's, here's how we cultivate the truth, all right? So daily I want you to work to personalize and to memorize the truth of, of Psalm 119.68. So this is daily, right? Daily. And, and so not just memorize, hear me, to personalize and to memorize. And so it might look something like this, right? Because our truth is God is good and everything he does is good. So insert this, me, right? God is good to me. And everything he does to me is good, right? And I'm just going to believe that every single day. Right? You are good to me, and everything you do is good to me. Teach me your ways, oh God. Right? You are good to me, and everything you do is good to me. Teach me your ways, oh God. Okay? We're just going to say it to ourselves. We're going to preach it to ourselves over and over and over. Now hear me. You walk out of here and you don't do it, it's on you. That struggle... That stronghold, it's all, it'll be on you. Like, I mean, so we're, we're giving you keys to the king. Like, go do these things. You're going to have to do it. And you may think, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to memorize Psalm 119. I don't want to personalize it. I don't, I don't, I, well, you want to stay where you are? It's going to take some work. So you're going to have to dig up the lie. You're going to have to receive the truth. And this is one of the ways that we begin to believe the truth. Uh, by the way, the more and more you think about something, the stronger the synaptic connection in your brain is. So the more and more you think about the truth, the stronger that truth becomes in your life, right? The, story, the more real it becomes for you. So this is why we, we talk about memorization. This is why we talk about doing things constantly. By the way, I, I'm not a brain scientist, just in case you wonder. I just like to learn things. And so uh, we, we have, you know, we have a, a, a licensed uh, counselor on staff, which is awesome. And so uh, I got to spend time this week talking with Kat. Tell me how the brain works about this. Like, like, here's what the Bible says. How's the brain work? And she's like, this is how the brain works. She drew me. Go look on my whiteboard. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, it's really good. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. Okay, so you start here like, God, you are good to me, and everything you do to me is good. Teach me your ways, oh, Lord. Okay, third thing that we do. So now we're, we're addressing our thought life. Okay, remember, the, the emotions, the heart stuff is going to come last. So, so we've, we've addressed the truth, the thing. Now we're going to think the truth this week. Now we've got to act on the truth. So we've got to change our actions. So here's how we do that. Ready? This week you force yourself to write down a list and count your blessings. Force yourself to count your blessings. Now, you tell me. You want to be a little bit challenged or a lot challenged? You tell me. Choose your own adventure. Those are my favorite books growing up. What do you want? A lot, you want to be cha challenged, a lot challenged. Okay, so if I told you to count your blessings and write down 10 things, that's not much of a challenge, is it? Okay, I want you to write 10 different things every day. 
That means you show up on Sunday and you've got a list of 70. Is that challenging enough? Find 70 things that are evidence of God's goodness in your life. 70. Just, and just count. And listen, I promise they're there. I promise they're there. How many of you have been praying for rain? Amen? Right? And you just kept praying. Oh, Lord, please rain. Oh, Lord, please. By Friday, you're going to be like, dang, God, I'm so sorry. I was so repetitive. I know you hear my prayers. I should have, I should have trusted you. Right? It's going to rain for six months. Uh, just, just count God's goodness. So that, that's your challenge. So you said you want to be, I'm going to ask the next. Now, the, the second service, you don't talk to them in between. Tell them, like, if he says, do you want to be challenged? Don't say you want to be challenged. He made us, we got to come up with 70. It's a lot. It's a lot. Hey, and here's, do your best. You have a day and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can come up with five minutes. I promise you can. I promise you can. Just think. Think about God's hand in your life. Think about all the ways he's blessed you historically. Not just right now, but historically. What's he brought you through? How has he protected you? Right? What about grace? What about salvation? What about the cross? What about, what about forgiveness? What about the fact that I can come to him anytime and confess my sin? And he not only forgives me, but he purifies me of all unrighteousness. There's five things in that one sentence right there. Right? Five things. Exactly. Yes, Winston. Okay? So write out a list of your blessings. Number four. And this, I think this comes last. I, I, I put, like, it'd be awesome if this could be first. But I tell you what, if you do these other two things all week, Sunday morning you're going to show up with a new feeling about God. If you do this all week, you personalize, God, you are good to me, and everything you do to me is good, and you think about how he has blessed you, you'll show up Sunday morning, and you're going to be ready for worship. Now, woo! Yes! God is good! You're going to come in with a whole new heart, whole new mindset, go, man, God is good. He is worthy of my praise. He is worthy. Last week, I thought I was struggling, right? And I'm not saying that I'm out of it, but I'm just saying I found him in it. That's what I'm saying. And, and that is worthy of worship. It's not that I'm out of it, but I found God in it. And that's worthy of praise. Okay? I would add one to that. Uh, last night about, uh, I don't know, 1130. Uh, I, I thought, you know, we should probably add on to that at some point. We need to really put some, some barriers, some guards up on our thought life, right? Because you can do all this, but if you don't start filtering your thoughts, you're going to be in trouble. So, Pastor, how do I filter my thoughts? Well, I would get um, real hands-on with that, is what I would recommend. What, what, do you, what do you take in? Garbage in, garbage out. Let, let me just be honest with you. If you're somebody that has ever struggled with any kind of racial prejudice at any point in life, then you don't need to read or listen to anybody that, that speaks those words. You, don't, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Now, hear me. That means you don't get to listen to many people today, Right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. Anybody that would feed into that narrative, you, you don't get to listen. and say, man, I've got to shut that off. Right? If, if you're somebody that, that um, is struggling, you've struggled in the past with being judgmental of others, and you've got that friend that that's all they ever do is talk about, oh, my God, you hear about Nance? Can you believe that girl's doing that? Oh, my God. Like you just say that, like, I love you, but we can't do this anymore. So you're going to have to start filtering, have this thought process. Um, so I, I like sports radio. 
I, I've confessed this to you. Like, I, this is, this is what sports-wise, this is my, like, favorite time of the year. You got college football on. You got national football. Star. Like, I like to listen to it. I'm a big Texans fan. Um, and uh, so I, I, I like, like, I, I like some of the guys. I like some of their backstories. I like some of the stuff they do with the community. And so I, I like those things. But when you listen to sports radio, there are certain kind of people that broadcast commercials on those radio stations, right? And, and some of those, specifically, are adult-oriented where they're like, you need to come to this club, blah, 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 blah. And so you know what I do? If I listen to sports radio and a commercial comes on, I change the channel immediately. You just change the channel because it's not worth it. Because you don't need to take in any kind of thought. You don't need, I mean, just take those thoughts captive, man. That's just, I'm just not going to do that. I'm just not going to allow myself. So you've got to put up that filter too, okay, guys? Listen, if, if you can do these things, man, I'm telling you, God will meet you and bless you. And we're just going to have a time of prayer this morning, if you don't mind, just right where you are. Would you uh, bow your heads and pray uh, with us? Holy Spirit, just invite you in just this moment, uh, just for a second here, Lord. Lord Jesus, uh, by the power of your Spirit, just, just for a second, let us just be honest. Just be honest right here in this space. That's what we're asking. Just spirit of honesty. Just right here. Do your work. Do your work. Have your way with us. It's right where you are with your heads bowed, your hearts open before the Lord. If you're here this morning and this message applies to you, right here and right now, I want, to commit, I want you to commit yourself to God. Right now. You're saying, yeah, I, I, I believe that lie. I, there are times I believe that God's not as good to me as he says he is. And it's affected how I view myself. It's affected my marriage. It's affected the way I raise my kids. It's affected the way I view my job. I've really questioned God's goodness. And you're here and you know it. You know, you know it. But today you heard how destructive it is. Just right now, before the Lord, just say, here I am, God. Help me receive your truth. God, here, here I am. Just help me break free. Claim this promise with me. Jesus, you say that your word, just, just claim it. Just, you say that your word, that the truth of God will set me free. You say it. So God, this morning, I receive it. Just pray. God, this morning, I receive it. That you are good. No matter what life would say, I believe today that you are good. Would you just say that to him? Just in your heart of hearts, would you just pray that to him? I believe today that you are good. That's what I choose. Somebody's struggling with an illness out there right now and you have been battling it. And you feel like your prayers have gone un un unanswered even. But today, you see that he's walking with you through the struggle. He hasn't left you. So today, would you just receive it? Yes, I see you right here, Lord, in my struggle. I see you. And I know that you're good. I know that life is hard, but I know that you're good. Help me believe again. Right? God, help me believe. Just pray it. Just keep praying. God, help me. I believe, but help my unbelief, God. Right now. Right now. Lord, set us free from the lies that have held us in captivity. God, break these chains as we proclaim that you are good. 
and that what you do is good. Today we say we believe. Today we say we believe. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.